Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You know, I don't understand why anyone would want to go to a zoo anymore, especially knowing what we all know about how cruel and unnatural for the animals modern zoos are. And as the most extreme and obvious example, just look at the elephants. And if you give it even a moment's thought, you'd have to conclude that something is very wrong in 2018 to confine elephants and deprive them of their natural existence. Every year, In Defense of Animals publishes their list of the 10 worst zoos for elephants. And even though some positive things happened for elephants in 2017, I wish I could say this year's list is better than previous ones. I want to welcome back to the show Dr. Tony Frohoff, internationally renowned elephant and cetacean scientist and director of IDA's Elephant Campaign. Hey there, Tony. Hi, how are you doing? Tony, I'm good. Before getting into the disappointing and the bad news, a few positive things happened this year for elephants. Why don't you give us a summary of the positive developments? I would love to because a lot of your listeners probably write letters and are activists, and I want to let them know that their work is doing something, uh, and we don't need to always focus on what's bad. So first of all, in 2017, it really was obviously the infamous Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus called it quits. Illinois and New York State passed prohibitions on the use of elephants for entertainment, entire states, and um, New York City banned the use of all wild animals in circuses. And in the U.S. and Canada, there are more than 100 jurisdictions that have enacted partial or full bans on wild animals and performances. And just so people can keep this in perspective, there are entire countries that have prohibited wild animal performances, sometimes uniquely because of the needs of elephants not being met, or for all wild animals. So we would like to see the entire U.S. uh, get on board. And yet, North American zoos continue to pump money into their elephant exhibits and continue to harbor and confine these majestic creatures. How is this possible, Tony, when public awareness seems to be growing about what elephants need? Well, I think that your question is spot on, is that, yes, education is out there about the needs of elephants, and there used to be the education con that people were learning more about elephants and zoos. But I remind people that the what largest, perhaps, conservation movement in the world was Save the Whales movement, and that occurred without any large whales being held in captivity. And so that's kind of fallen through. So now zoos are championing uh, captivity for conservation, and they can't support this most of the time. If anything, these elephants are not only suffering, but they're dying out in zoos faster than they can be born. And so on top of it, zoos are actually depleting elephant uh, resources that should be diverted to real conservation in the wild. So the thing is, zoos normalize elephants' 
and other animals being held prisoners and being in absolutely abnormal circumstances, no matter how expansive or expensive the zoo exhibits are. So it's a huge con and it's a huge veil that we're trying to lift to let the public know what it is that our tax dollars sometimes and their tickets are supporting. And the last time you were with us, Tony, we spoke about the 18 elephants stolen from the wild in Swaziland, Africa, to live a life of captivity in three American zoos in 2015. Have we learned any more about how this all happened and what became of these individual elephants? Well, that is one of the biggest tragedies and one of the biggest problems with zoos, including zoos in North America. People like to point the finger sometimes to China or other countries, but the U.S. is implicit as well. Um, As you know, the Dallas Zoo, Sedgwick County Zoo in Kansas, and Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, they all conspired to import, well, originally 18, one elephant passed away before being transported to the U.S., and these elephants were kidnapped from the wild and shipped to these three zoos, and it's both tragic and it's um, under the con of conservation, and people need to know better and do better. So evidently, elephants are still good business for zoos. Absolutely. And um, even though we see SeaWorld and other captive facilities for dolphins and whales uh, declining in ticket sales, uh, we haven't seen as much of an impact in zoos. And I think this is largely because of the conservation con. And that's why people need to really see that they may not necessarily be educating their children by taking them to the zoo because they may be normalizing animal abuse uh, by stealing, confining, and uh, forcing these beautiful, intelligent, far-ranging, multi-generational individuals with cultures in the wild to live in, in barren prisons. And that is certainly no education, in my opinion, for a child who needs to learn to respect the natural environment. It is really a conservation con, isn't it? Absolutely. And any ticket purchase to go to a zoo is supporting that that conservation con. And there are some success stories for conservation, but science, um, lots of research by Mason and Club and, and other scientists have demonstrated that, especially in the case of far-ranging uh, animals, such as polar bears, cetaceans, which are dolphins and whales, elephants. Yes, there are huge welfare concerns, and also these animals do not breed at all well in captivity. In fact, the elephants suffer horrendously because in the wild, for example, as you just mentioned, they're often stolen to restock zoos because the zoo's elephants keep dying prematurely and the young, the babies, don't live very long or they don't live at all. And this is the problem. The zoos are raiding from the wild to restock their populations. At least some of them are. Others are moving elephants around like furniture to uh, try to force them to breed in the cases of artificial insemination and mostly unsuccessfully. It's really a tragedy. Okay, Tony, let's talk about the list of worst zoos for elephants. Why does IDA continue to do this every year? 
Well, In Defense of Animals has been uh, putting out the 10 Warsus list for elephants. We're now in our 14th year of doing this. This is something really that is to look at what has happened in North American zoos over the last year. And so we try to see what is representative of these zoos that people need to learn about. So sometimes we'll look at themes. For example, this year, Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo, they were implicit in the death of Warren, who is a very young male, and he died, a 14-year-old African elephant, which is really just a teenager, and he died three months after being transferred to Omaha Zoo, and the conditions seem to be specific to the transport and or captivity. One of the saddest things that the Omaha Zoo's general curator responded to about this tragedy is now we basically don't have a backup male. Mm. So, you know, bulls, um, male elephants are considered, you know, they're cash cows, Mm -hmm. they're females, Mm -hmm. and and we call this bottom line bull because it's about the dollars. It's not about the elephants, and it's not about education. And then, of course, we have, uh, I'll just go to our number two zoo, Pittsburgh Zoo. Um, I want to tell you that Pittsburgh has published nothing, apparently, about our Tenmore Sioux list, and yet they had a calf who died this year, and the situation is horrendous under the circumstances in which this poor little three-month-old calf passed away, and yet nobody in Pittsburgh, none of the media, have said they wanted to print anything because there's already been so much about it. And so I really want people to please go to our website in defense of animals. It's IDAUSA.org. Look up the 10 worst zoos list. Look at these individuals. And we have a beautiful video that our media department put together this year to really help show people so that they don't have to just believe us. They can see what is really happening behind the walls of zoos. The worst offender on the list, the Topeka Zoo in Topeka, Kansas. What makes this one so horrible for the elephants? Topeka Zoo in Kansas failed to adequately care, miserably failed to adequately care, in our opinion, for Shannon, a 35-year-old African elephant, which is a fairly young elephant if she were in the wild, who died after reportedly spending 10 brutal hours down on her side without any monitoring from zoo staff who had left for the night. And I want to point out that what is particularly inexcusable about this is that Shannon had been found down and unable to rise on her own just the day before when the zoo had to first call firefighters to help hoist her to her feet. And it should be patently obvious, not even to a veterinarian, but anybody who cares about elephants or any animal, that a severely sick elephant who was, couldn't even raise herself must be watched closely around the clock. And instead, the zoo chose to not keep anyone on site to monitor Shannon's video feed, which apparently could have been done without even disturbing her. So we consider the zoo's actions to be something, uh, nothing short of gross neglect and blatantly inadequate care. And this is what we call the tip of the iceberg, Lori, because Shannon's death is indicative of the longtime problems that continue to plague the animals at Topeka Zoo. The zoo has been cited so many times for violating federal animal welfare regulations. So this is not just our opinion. I mean, there's even a civil penalty to settle charges brought against the zoo by the uh, USDA for at least 51 willful violations of the Animal Welfare Act. 
I mean, this is what's occurring at a zoo, which we think is better than a circus, right? Mm. And so, um, and we just found out this morning, which is shocking, is that we're just finding out in the AP that in, in USDA inspection finds no violation in the death of Topeka elephant. Even says that died that day after she spent about 20 hours on the ground. I mean, she was down for 10 hours. Apparently, we looked at the necropsy report in the same position. And if somebody had just bothered to just look at a video feed or, or peer at her through a window, anything, I mean, that is something that could cons- would constitute possible abuse, you know, in a lot of situations. We're speaking with Tony Frohoff about the worst zoos in America. You're listening to Animals Today. We're speaking with Tony Frohoff about the worst zoos in the country. And Tony, let's pick up with what you were saying before the break about the USDA. It's not doing its job properly, is it? Well, I, I think, and, and, and this is, you know, public information that most, if not all, sincere animal protection organizations are having problems with USDA. They're supposed to implement the Animal Welfare Act, and yet um, it's very much fox watching the hen house and the Animal Welfare Act itself, as you likely know, is often insufficient. But the worst situation with USDA is we need to appeal to them to enforce the laws that are in effect to protect these elephants. I mean, we have elephants on our list, such as Asha, who's at Natural Bridge Zoo in Virginia, who's been alone for over a decade in a roadside atrocity, giving rides to people in the sun. And they've received so many animal welfare violations, according to the USDA, and even the Virginia um, Fish and Wildlife Department temporarily revoked their license. Yet the USDA is still allowing them to keep this elephant in solitary confinement and abused in these situations. So we need to appeal to USDA. Um, please, if people would go to our website, idausa.org, and sign up for our elephant alerts, we really need to ask these people who are receiving our tax dollars to do their job to to do their job properly. Tony, do people who visit this zoo, the Topeka Zoo I'm talking about, have any idea what's going on there? You know, I, I can't say. I mean, if people are still buying tickets to go, my sense is they're either misinformed or they don't care. And that's the whole point with zoos. They're justification for existence is supposed to be education and conservation, but most of the time it adds up to recreation. And, you know, in many of these cases, the zoos come across to the media as if they are the victims when an elephant dies. And the zoos are by no means the victims. Exactly. They are the oppressors. Exactly. Right. They, and it's the elephants and the other animals who are forced to live there who are the ones who suffer and who are the victims and it's our duty to speak out for them. Tony, now let's talk about the Bronx Zoo which gets dishonorable mention and tragically they're housing one elephant named Happy in isolation. Truly, New York should be ashamed of itself. Well said, Lori. 
if you look at the list, we couldn't even obtain a photograph of Happy because we don't know where she's being sequestered. There are three elephants at the Bronx Zoo. And when the monorail goes by, you can see the two other elephants, but we don't even know where Happy is, granted we're not there every day. But uh, we do know that she's been separated from Patty and Maxine, the two other elephants at the zoo. And so where is the third and loneliest elephant, ironically and tragically named Happy? The point with this is twofold, I think, that makes Bronx Zoo exceptional, Lori, is that, first of all, New York City should do better. New York City people know better. Right. And they should do better. This is happening right there in the Bronx. Second of all, actually, this is trifold. Uh, the zoo said that once one of the elephants in 2006, I think, the Bronx Zoo stated that they would close the elephant exhibit uh, once uh, one of the elephants died. Well, why don't they let the elephants go to a sanctuary where they can live much better and likely much longer lives now before one of them dies a pathetically tragic death. And my guess is that it would be Happy who would die first if for no other reason because she's been socially isolated, which is probably the single cruelest thing anybody could do to an elephant. And the other aspect of this is that Happy was used in a research experiment about a decade ago that showed that elephants are self-aware, that they can recognize themselves in a mirror. And you've likely heard of mirror recognition studies in dolphins and perhaps in elephants. Well, Happy was the elephant who was used. So we know that Happy is aware of her own suffering and her own flight, her own plight. And so for the fact that the researchers who conducted this study are not willing to speak out on behalf of Happy, she's been exploited by science, and people talk about her capacity for emotion and intelligence and sentience, and yet she's left to rot in cruel, frigid isolation, and this is completely unacceptable. So terribly, terribly sad. Tony, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, like I often do, what listeners can do to help the situation and end the practice of confining elephants in zoos. But first, I would ask you to give us a brief update on the elephants in the Los Angeles Zoo, because there was a strong push to end or close this exhibit, which evidently has failed. Yes, the Los Angeles Zoo, the elephants there have, oh my gosh, they've been under the limelight for a long time. It has, it didn't make our worst zoo list this year only because there aren't enough spaces to include all the horrendous things that are happening in zoos this year, this year or any year. But the elephants at the LA Zoo um, have a long history of being noted in court of being abused with, um, you know, just overt physical abuse. And so the fact that the exhibit even remains, let alone the fact that Billy the Elephant um, is somewhat in isolation there, is, is really reprehensible. And the, the L.A. Zoo has such a horrific history with respect to, to elephant welfare. They have no business having elephants in their exhibits and that's certainly clear and why this why people still go is 
shocking to me. Finally, Tony, what do you think ordinary people can do to help the situation in zoos around North America? It seems like the forces are just so powerful. They are so powerful. And yet, as we said at the beginning of the show, um, which I'm so glad you brought up, is that there is progress occurring. So yes, these elephants are in dire situations. And it's not just the elephants themselves who are in the zoos and, and other captive environments who are in dire, who are suffering, but it's the populations in the wild. Hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent on elephant zoo exhibits. So people can ask zoos tough questions. At the very least, people cannot go to zoos or participate in any performances of elephants or other wild animals. But please keep in mind, at least 44 zoos around the world have closed their elephant exhibitions, including 29 in the U.S. So if people can join whatever group they feel closest to, in this case, in defense of animals, please go to our website, idausa.org, sign up for our alerts. Our alerts make a difference. There have been many successes, and your listeners can be part of that. Dr. Tony Frohoff, thank you very much for your expertise. Thank you so much, Lori. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back. Well, we've got important news about farmed animals in California, and it has its roots in California Proposition number two. Remember that one? Well, with us now is Ashley Welgan. She is with the Humane Society of the United States, and we're going to learn a lot right now. Ashley, hey. Hey there, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on and uh, giving us the early news about this initiative. So why don't we start by going back to California Prop 2. What was that? What did it do? And what's happened since it was uh, enacted? Sounds good. So Proposition 2, as you as you likely recall, was a very historic measure that was passed in California nearly a decade ago. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it simply required that egg-laying hens, mother pigs, and veal calves be given enough space to stand up, lie down, uh, turn around, and extend their limbs. So this, this might not sound like much to many, but this upgrade meant a world of difference to animals who can barely move an inch their entire lives. So again, that was about 10 years ago now that Proposition 2 was enacted. Um, following Prop 2, a couple significant things happened. Uh, first of all, unfortunately on the negative side, uh, the California Department of Food and Agriculture caved to industry pressure and some egg producers were allowed to continue to confine hens in cages, albeit they provided them with a little bit more space. So they didn't exactly switch over to cage-free. Um, that said, many producers did go cage-free, and Prop 2 did permanently ban crates for calves and mother pigs in California. 
Now, on the positive side, this also set the stage for virtually every major food company to enact policies to eliminate battery cages and gestation crates from their supply chains. And it led to the enactment of other laws across the country. So since Prop 2, 11 other states have adopted stronger animal welfare standards. So we've seen huge progress in the farm animal protection movement as a result of Proposition 2. Um, now, if I could just jump into our new measure and why this is needed, uh, this would essentially upgrade Proposition 2 and expand our state's current animal welfare and food safety laws by requiring that pork, veal, and eggs sold in the state come from cage-free sources, regardless of where they're produced. And a helpful way to look at Prop 2 compared to the new measure is that Prop 2 was about the treatment of animals raised in California. This new measure would apply to mother pigs, egg-laying hens, and veal calves, regardless of where they're raised, so long as their products are going to be sold in California. So when this new measure is passed, it's going to be the strongest farm animal protection law in the world. Why do we rely on ballot initiatives to accomplish this in California? Why not go straight to the legislature and pass a law? Well, well, that's a great question. Um, similar to Proposition 2, th- these are issues that the California voters care about, and they come out in overwhelming numbers to support uh, measures like this. With, Cal- with uh, Proposition 2, it passed by 63.5% of Californian support. This new measure, our polling numbers are showing a whopping 72% of Californians um, are in support of the new measure. So um, I-, I think the ballot initiative process is very important. It's a way that people can get out and um, really uh, demonstrate their values. Um, and, you know, this is this is a, a, a cause that not just Californians care about. Across the country, stronger animal welfare laws are being passed. So I think the ballot uh, initiative process is a great way for people to get out there, vote. Um, it's a great example of d- direct democracy. People, we need volunteers right now to help us get 600,000 signatures in order to qualify this ballot measure. So it's a fantastic way that people can um, really volunteer on the front lines and be a part of creating that positive change. Okay, and so how are you going to get those signatures? And uh, that can't be done online in California, right? You need live uh, verified signatures. That's correct. This is pen and paper. This is a grassroots movement. So our campaign is uh, called Prevent Cruelty California. We encourage your listeners to please visit our website, preventcruelty.ca.com, and sign up to volunteer. Uh, again, we need 600,000 signatures from now until April 21st, 2018, in order to qualify this measure for next year's ballot. Uh, again, that is a huge feat, uh, but we, we did it before with Prop 2, and we know we can do it again, but we really can't do it without volunteer support. So we're hoping that um, uh, Californians will get out there and please visit our website, preventcruelty.ca.com slash volunteer and sign up to be a part of this very historic measure. You know, one of the uh, disturbing images uh, listeners may have seen, and it really just is so heartbreaking from the aerial drone pictures and you see these acres and acres upon little enclosures that these pigs are raised in you know in the middle of nowhere and yeah. it just is looks like army barracks almost and you just know mm-hmm. it's just horrible so how does this initiative address that in california there's not a lot of pigs being raised in california i understand but are around the country 
That's such a great question, Peter. Um, to answer it very directly, nearly all of the pork sold in California today comes from farms using gestation crates. Um, so that really puts it in perspective. So with these farmers in other states, you know, the pig farmer in Iowa, the egg producer in Rhode Island, if they want to continue to sell in California, they will have to meet California standards. Uh, so again, nearly all pork sold in California comes from farms using gestation crates. This will be banned in California. Nearly all veal from crated, or excuse me, veal from crated calf is still sold in California. This will now be banned. Uh, in, a, in, in addition to veal and pork, nearly all eggs produced and sold in California still come from caged hens. So this new measure explicitly writes, um, adopts a cage-free language. Uh, they will leave, leave absolutely no room for doubt that the new standard is cage-free. Ashley, you know, the vegan advocates may look at this whole issue and say, you know, these animals are all going to die anyway. We're just uh, sort of doing these little baby steps. You know, we want a vegan world now. How do you respond to that perspective? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Peter. Great concern. And, and you know, while cage-free doesn't guarantee cruelty-free, cage-free hens generally have significantly better lives than those confined inside battery cages. So again, while this measure doesn't make farm animals' lives ideal, it is a huge step in the right direction for these animals. Again, these animals that spend nearly their entire lives unable to extend their limbs. So that's hens in battery cages, mother pigs in gestation crates, veal calves in veal crates. And I know you've seen these images and they're heartbreaking. So again, the upgrade, the giving them the ability to lie down, stand up, turn around, extend their limbs. It may not sound like a lot to you and me. This means a world of difference for these animals that are unable to move for the majority of their lives. And, and just speaking of hens specifically, cages thwart many of their natural behaviors. Um, this measure will specifically require that they be able to walk, spread their wings, nest, dust bathe, and perch. These are all extremely important behaviors for their welfare. Okay, so let's say this measure reaches the ballot and then it is passed. How is it funded and how is it enforced? Sure. So this uh, this new measure specifically it will not raise taxes. If you're asking how it's going to be funded, it will not raise taxes. In terms of enforcement, this new measure works the same as anti-cruelty laws across the country. It's largely based uh, a complaint based. A complaint needs to be made before something is done, uh, before a, a, a um, an action is brought against a producer. So in addition to there being, it, it, let me back up a little bit. This new measure is going to upgrade Prop Two by adding in a civil remedy in addition to criminal penalties, which we already had with Prop 2. So in addition to the state being able to bring an action against a producer who's not compliant, the new law will also allow egg producers to bring civil cases against another egg producer who's breaking the law. So it really adds in another layer of enforcement. Well, that's going to be very interesting. Okay. So Ashley, uh, please give us the website once again. So uh, this is a great example of uh, something that people who are interested in animal welfare can do without really getting too dirty or having to devote many, many uh, hours of their time. They can just uh, sign up and go collect signatures, right? So what's that website? That's right. Very, very simple. Uh, thanks, Peter. Again, that's preventcruelty.ca.com 
slash volunteer. Uh, and you can sign up today. It, it takes five seconds to sign up. We'll send you a packet with everything you need. Uh, we have instructions on our website for the, you know, the signature gathering 101, the types of questions you're going to get, proposed responses. All the information you need will be sent to you and is available on our website. Uh, and again, we really need your help. Uh, we need to collect 600,000 signatures between now and April in order to get this on the ballot for Californians to vote on next November. Very good, Ashley. Well, again, with the Humane Society, thank you so much. I look forward to uh, reviewing the packet. I'm going to order one and see what's involved. And uh, also, maybe we can speak once it gets on the ballot. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Thank you. You're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our 10th year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners of the earth. Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, that's animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It's so easy to subscribe on iTunes, and when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. I'm Dr. Lori Kirstar, and thanks for listening. Welcome back. The Vancouver Aquarium has just announced its decision to stop displaying whales and dolphins. And with that, a Pacific white-sided dolphin named Helen will remain the only cetacean remaining alive in the aquarium. This decision is the result of a series of events, including the very key decision by the Vancouver Park Board last spring to ban the importation of new cetaceans to city parks and to prohibit performances by them. But even with the aquarium's decision, the legal challenge it launched to overturn the ban is still ongoing and being considered by the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Perhaps the aquarium will soon withdraw its legal action. The CEO of the Vancouver Aquarium, John Nightingale, offered this in a statement. Despite independent polling year over year that clearly shows overwhelming support for our cetacean program, we have made the difficult decision to no longer display cetaceans at Vancouver Aquarium with the exception of doing what is best for Helen and any need to use the aquarium for the temporary accommodation of a rescued cetacean. He continued, Today's announcement marks a shift for the aquarium, but it's a move that is in line with our commitment to our community, country, and the world's oceans. Now, what to do with Helen remains somewhat of a quandary. She's not a candidate for release because of her medical condition and her age. The Park Board Chair, Stuart McKinnon, released a statement applauding the decision. McKinnon wrote, We are pleased that the aquarium, with this decision, has acknowledged and recognized what we as a commission observed in passionate public debates in this issue over the last years. The public told us they believed the continuing importation and display of these intelligent and sociable mammals was unethical and incompatible with evolving public opinion, and we amended our bylaws accordingly. We look forward to working with the Vancouver Aquarium as it intensifies our focus on ocean-wise research and conservation. So that's a little bit of good news, Lori. On the other hand, here's a little negative, and that is in Florida, the orca known as Lolita, 
will remain in captivity despite a plea from U.S. celebrity and well-known advocate Bob Barker to retire her to a seaside sanctuary. This is the result of an appeals court ruling that blocked the effort. In a release by Whale and Dolphin Conservation, the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals determined that the Miami Seaquarium's undersized tank, lack of social companions, and inadequate treatment was not violating the Federal Endangered Species Act. This whale is the last surviving southern resident orca in captivity. She is from a unique population now listed as endangered, and efforts to secure her retirement to her sanctuary have been going on for years. Boy, we sure hope things get better for Lolita. So uh, we are not really avid bird watchers, but we did have a really nice experience a few years ago with a colleague who loves photographing birds in the wild. And we went up with him to the Big Morongo Preserve, which is maybe 45 minutes from Palm Springs, maybe less. And uh, he's got this wonderful setup. He's got a spotting telescope attached to his camera, and we're watching nesting raptors. I think it was a, I think it was a hawk or family of hawks, and uh, there was just this great magnification and clarity, and you look through there, and you can just take pictures right through the lens. It was, the, it was really an exciting morning. And, and do you remember when the mother hawk came with food and yeah. was feeding the babies? I know. It's just so real and nice, and I'd like to do some more of that when I can find some time. Wouldn't that be fun? Sure would. Oh, and uh, when we were in Alaska, you know, there's great opportunities for photographing eagles in particular, and got some great shots of them. I think I've spoke about that before. That was really fun. So it's one of those things I'd like to get into when time permits. And uh, and there are these uh, lists of great destinations for bird watchers. And anyway, a list compiled by Lonely Planet, starting with Papua New Guinea, where there are all these unusual birds with brilliant colors and uh, really species that you can't see anywhere else, including this cassowary, which is this large flightless bird. It's got a sharp middle toe that's supposed to be very dangerous. But the Vararata National Park is supposed to be one of the top bird watching areas in the world. Then we'll just hop on over to Kruger National Park in South Africa. Were you there, Lori? I don't think so. Okay. That is popularly known for the home of the big five wild animals. And uh, those are not birds. Those are buffalo, elephant, rhino, lion, and leopard. And that's a great destination for your photographic safari. But it's also a great destination for bird watching. You can see the southern ground hornbill, owls, vultures, storks, eagles, and many others. Laura, you need to bring me there. You got it. Okay, good. Uh, Continuing on the list of uh, popular destinations for bird watching. In Brazil, the Pantanal, that's the home of their largest flightless bird called the Rhea. It looks like a little ostrich. That would be cute to see. And many others. And in New Zealand, hey, we were there, the Otago Peninsula. That's where the Royal Albatross has its breeding grounds. And truly, if you have not seen an albatross in person, it's the most majestic thing with their huge wingspans. They are just cruising around. It's just so delightful. Also, while you're down there, well, you won't be able to see a live kiwi. They are a little brown ball of a nocturnal bird, and they don't really come out, and you really can't go looking for them. But they've got models that you can look at and imagine you're looking at a live kiwi. And also, there's the yellow-eyed penguin. 
in Antarctica. That's another destination I'd love to visit, not only to uh, see the penguins, which is supposed to be a wonderful and fragrant sight, I might add, but also for the adventure of going down to uh, Antarctica. Fragrant in what way? Oh, in a, in a unpleasant That's sort of. That's what I figured. Of, yeah, yeah. They don't really talk about that in the brochures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> In Australia, in Queensland, the kookaburra, that's a cute little bird that makes that funny laughing sound. And uh, and they're really cute, too. And then the emu, I think that's how you say that. That's another flightless bird, the second largest one after the ostrich. And then the emu, that is another flightless bird, the second largest one after the ostrich. And also a huge variety of brilliantly colored parrots. Hopping over to Ecuador... We should go there too as we go to the Galapagos. You can see toucans there and macaws. That would be really fun to photograph, wouldn't it? Toucan. Wasn't the Fruit Loop bird a toucan? Toucan Sam. Toucan Sam, yeah. 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 How old are you? I'm not the one who still eats Fruit Loops. <laughs> uh, Romania, that's a really interesting one too. The Danube Delta, that is highly protected these days, and you can get very close to the wildlife, but only by rowboat or kayak, and you need a permit. But it is really supposed to be a a wonderful place, including herons and pelicans and white-tailed eagles. That would be really neat if we ever make it to Europe. And finally, of course, as I mentioned before, Alaska, we have been there and it is just uh, delightful and huge. And anyone who's in North America needs to check out Alaska for so many reasons. If you enjoy wildlife, if you enjoy nature, you need to spend a little time in our largest state. Okay, Lori, can I buy my new camera lens now? (laughs) Will that be your fifth one? I have a growing collection. You never know. Okay, I think one, two, three, four is enough. Okay. This is Dr. Peter Spiegel encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening.